0: This week's Adam Schefter podcast, we preview week 13 in the NFL with ace ESPN NFL researcher Evan Kaplan. And we get a man who comes out of hiding, Brooks Melchior of Sports by Brooks, who had a popular website, Twitter timeline, that basically disappeared for five years. And now, for the very first time, Sports by Brooks, Brooks Melchior, comes on his very first podcast, We Stole. His podcast, Virginity. And we are joined by two of my colleagues and friends at ESPN, two of the smartest quarterback minds I know, Matthew and Tim Hasselbeck, where we start this week's podcast. All right, this is my special treat. This is is a lifelong dream fulfilled, right? It it actually
1: is, probably. It really is.
0: Yeah. Must be. Big fans. (laughs) The Hasselbeck brothers are in studio. Two of them. Together. What's better than this? The only thing that could be better would be if we had Nathaniel join us yes, on the phone. That's thank a good you. point. That's See, good point. always doing It actually research. would be way
1: more fun, to be <laughs> no, honest with no, you. Research. The, <laughs> he's the fun Just brother. I know Nathaniel. I know Don. I know Betsy. Wow. The parents. <laughs> we, know we know the whole family. That's impressive. Right? That's true. And we've known you a long time. I remember when Twitter first came out, I was one of the first people, maybe the first football player on Twitter. And first football player on Twitter. And, and you would send like a, a card, like a thank you card. Thank you for the follow Friday you sent me. <laughs> you know, you put me in the follow Friday. You would send me like a, a thank you letter oh, on mm-hmm. stationery. I was like, wow, well, listen, <laughs> this guy is a really nice guy.
2: Seven million followers later. <laughs> and I look back. a I lot mean, of
1: thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the amazing thing. Like I probably had
2: three times as many
1: followers as you did at that time. And now you're in the millions and yeah. I'm still stuck in, you
0: know, nothing. Yeah, Start sending those thank you that's, notes, That's, that's the key. It's a marathon, Shoot.
2: not a sprint, baby. The man. The
0: man. Yeah. That's how it works. All right, Matthew, Tim, we've got a lot of quarterback news this week. Mm-hmm. It's really a busy quarterback week Always. in the NFL. We'll start with the Bengals. Andy Dalton out for the year, torn ligaments in his thumb. Jeff Driscoll is the new starting quarterback. Tom Savage is the new backup starting quarterback. And they have Connor Cook on the practice squad. So the fact that they claimed Tom Savage to be the backup, I think, is interesting for Connor Cook's standing in the NFL. What is... It going to be like in Cincinnati now with Jeff Driscoll playing quarterback. Well, I think you got a glimpse of it, you know, this weekend. I th-
1: Jeff Driscoll was like, huh, who? Like, how do you spell this guy's name? He actually played really well. I mean, he was uh, a penalty away from bringing him back and having a chance to win that game, if you can believe it. So, you know, I had never heard of him. You know, there's these like guys like that you've never heard of, and then they kind of surprise you. I think the same thing happened in San Fran this year. Uh, like who's this guy? Mullins, mm-hmm. number four. The Brett Favre, yeah, sure. Every, they say that about everybody. Then he comes in and plays pretty well. I think he's the guy that could actually uh, surprise some people. And obviously, this is not what the Bengals wanted. This is this is a huge loss. Andy Dalton, obviously, is the guy they were hoping to roll with this year, but um, big injury. You know, you hurt your hurt your hand on your throwing hand. It's a problem.
2: Yeah, here's the deal with Driscoll. He's a great athlete. Like he is a tremendous runner. Like he's not quite Taysom Hill. But he's a really good runner. Mm -hmm. So anytime you've seen him play in the preseason, the run in fact the Bengals have had some kind of like Taysom Hill type packages for Driscoll in the pass. So he's a he's a tremendous athlete who I think is um you know in his time in the league has you know improved a little bit as a passer to Matthew's point. The plan wasn't to go with Jeff Driscoll, but um I think he will be exciting to watch. I think that things like that can, will happen. Can I add something
1: too? Yeah. I had Bill Lazor, their offensive coordinator as a as a position coach uh when I was in Seattle. He he's he's a tough coach. Like you you're going to be prepared. Like he taxes you mentally when you're not playing like he, what he did to our backups and having them ready to play he did a really nice job that way
2: i also played for bill laser uh and he liked me better than matthew
0: well you when you were <laughs> seven different teams yes, right yeah yes.
2: tim's played for or a lot of coaches just, almost everybody it's like a blessing <laughs> like a, in disguise for him really six degrees of uh kevin bacon or whatever how's that how's that go yeah
0: of oh, the seven it's teams a, you play with who is the, the smartest coach that you ever played for
2: smartest
3: who's
0: the guy that impressed you the most the guy that you in said, terms of knowledge or in terms everything. of like
2: andy reed's the best coach i think i've ever, I've ever been around andy reed that would be the easy easy question and look i was joe gibbs brian billick um you Steve know spurrier, spurrier really, really really just name the people Baldwin. you haven't played yeah, for uh, you're nice <laughs> andy reed's awesome mm-hmm. what about him he just he's smart i think he does a great job relating to players he keeps it relaxed enough but yet you know the accountability is still there i think he's creative I think the best thing that I feel like he does as a coach, and I appreciate it now in my role, is that you think about the quarterbacks that he's won with. No head coaches win with the number of quarterbacks that Andy Reid has won with, especially the different styles of quarterbacks. And I think what he does is he has a system or a philosophy offensively, but he lets the quarterback put their personality on it.
1: Can I double down on Andy yeah. Reid since he was my position coach my first year with, uh, the Green Bay Packers? Mike Holmgren was the head coach. Andy was the position coach. Brett Favre was the starter. Doug Peterson was the backup. These are all guys you have never heard of. But, um, <laughs> but Andy kept it so simple and it was like a running joke in our quarterback room is like, Andy played offensive line at BYU. He was the tight ends coach at Missouri. And then all of a sudden he's coaching Brett Favre in Super Bowls. And the joke was, you know, Andy, what are you going to teach us about playing quarterback? You know, you were a guard at BYU. But I'll say this. Andy Reid made it so simple. Like, he made it simple. He would – I guess the closest thing I could say it to is, like, you go to, like, take a golf lesson and, like, you get this super smarty pants type golf instructor, tell you all this stuff and, like, you're actually worse. You Like, you screwed you up. And then you get the guy that's like, hey, just think about this one thing and it's very helpful. Andy Reid's that kind of a coach huh. as a position coach. I never had him as a head coach like Tim. But um just an awesome guy, great coach.
0: When you're rattling off all those names – I realize how much institutional quarterback knowledge is surrounding me at this particular moment. Thank you for that. I'll send you guys thank you notes for that as well. Oh, okay. okay. Spell well, which, my name by right. the way,
2: speaking of you sending notes, people need to realize that the day after Thanksgiving, the Schefter holiday card yep. is literally the first thing in the mailbox. It's amazing. So it just and by the way, it's he not did. just like it's not just like a select few people. I mean, there literally thousands of people I that know, must thousands. get well. Must I, get but, the but in card fairness, the I Shefter's. got
1: the card. I don't. Did you get a card? I'm mm. I'm still waiting for mine. Yeah. I'm mad at me. This is He's the thing something. about Schefter. <laughs> it's like breaking news. He wants to be first to everything. First to the you know. The Christmas card, first to the
0: breaking news. You but know. people love to break it to me that I was not the first card. Like, I got a few texts. So it's funny insane. that it I got probably bad news bothered news for you. you. What's that? I'm bracing myself. <laughs> you weren't the first holiday card. No, no. The old yeah. Jates got you this year. No, you don't know got me. Herm Edwards got me. <laughs> Herm Edwards got me.
1: Forks up. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Hey, it's recruiting. You got to you gotta be first to the party. <laughs> that's the way it goes. All right,
0: the other quarterback issue we had this week is in Jacksonville where the Jaguars suddenly pulled the plug on Blake Bortles, went to Cody Kessler, fired their offensive coordinator. A lot of stuff going on in Jacksonville. Tim, what's your take on what's evolving there with the quarterbacks?
2: You know, I generally don't feel bad for coaches. I feel bad that Nathaniel Hackett got fired because Blake Bortles played so poorly. Because I think that the team... Should have done something about the quarterback situation. Just think about the guys that were on the move at the position this year: Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins, Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, Tyrod Taylor—all guys that I think would have played better than Blake Bortles. Um, and then other guys that maybe could have been available if if Jacksonville made a run at them. Then you think about the guys that could have drafted. They could have drafted Lamar Jackson. So I just I look at the situation and I think you know for Jacksonville, you knew this was a problem. And you did nothing about it. Like, to me, that's a bad job by Jacksonville because they do have a good defense. Uh, they do have a good run game. The quarterback position has been what's held them back, not their play caller. Look back to their plan last year against New England in the postseason. I mean, they were incredible. So I just, I think it was a completely mismanaged situation from a personnel perspective at the quarterback position.
1: Yeah, and I would agree, and I would say they played amazing against uh, the Seattle Seahawks last year, against the Patriots this year. Um Really, the thing, yeah, I guess you just got to know Doug Marone's coaching style. This is what he does. He makes a drastic move, at, like, say, the quarterback position, to send a message to his whole team. That's his style, kind of an offensive line coach type of style. Hey, I'm benching you for Chad Henney in the fourth preseason game to send a message, light a spark. Like, I, I don't know, like, that's... It's not a solution to me. It's like a motivational technique, but um, I don't know. They, that that's an issue. You need to get that. There's teams that overinvest in the quarterback position, and then there's Jacksonville.
0: And they still owe Blake Bortles money next year. There'll be money on the cap for Blake Bortles for the deal that they gave him this past off season. To your point, Tim.
2: Yeah, and about they, all the quarterbacks and they could they reup them. And you talk about the guys that were available. Then I think the other thing you have to ask yourself is you go, okay. Well, who are we competing against for Blake
0: Bortles? And we had this discussion, right? Tim was saying, like, who else was going to sign him? And they signed him so early that I don't know that we ever got a true read as to who would have been interested in him if anybody would have been. We don't know that. No,
1: we I, I think in fairness to them, maybe, you know, he was hurt last year, had wrist surgery that we didn't really know about last year. And so maybe they talk themselves into this. Hey, we really like him. He's a hard worker. He's done everything that we've asked him to do. He was once a top five pick in the, in the NFL draft. He's got, you know, some slippery to him. He's pretty mobile. Maybe if he has this surgery and gets healthy, we'll, he'll take the next step. And that just didn't
2: happen. I would just ask that I'm taking over the Adam Schefter podcast. here. Like I would like, I'd ask it over. you, Adam. Okay. Like, like you've talked all, you talked to all these teams. You know, this, like you, you know, that, or I'd ask you, Matthew, played 18 years in the NFL. Find me his landing spot at any point this year. If you go back to the offseason, like name me the team that was like going to say, all right, we're going to draft a guy and he's going to sit behind Blake or, Oh, hey, Vikings are going to turn that direction or Broncos or, Like name me the team. Well, what
1: usually happens is there's a coach on another team that was once with you and they're like, you know what? That's my guy. Yeah, I had success with him back in 2010. That's my guy, and I don't think well, that's been through a lot of so, offensive. Of coordinators. that's, that's true. Him. But Those guys aren't. Who are those guys? And they're not guys of in positions of power that would say, "Yeah, I'm going to put my resume on the line for him."
2: You, I just don't think you can find a landing spot. Like you can't even say, "Like, oh, hey." So, so whoever for his, for his agent is did bit. a nice
1: job.
0: They negotiated.
1: Greg against Olson nobody. was in
0: Jacksonville, was he not?
1: Yes, yes. And he's in Oakland. Yeah, but that's my point. Like, is that, are you gonna say, oh, you know what? That'll come, get that, we'll fix this here in Oakland with that. That's not gonna happen. It happens at some positions. You see a guy, uh, reinvent himself. Like, a guy goes from, you know, one team to another and he brings his people. Parcells is kind of famous for it. Like, he, he he left New England, went to, uh, the Jets and was like, he brought all of his guys. Or when he came from the Giants and came to New England, you know, you're seeing all those guys hey, They're Parcells guys. And, uh, I just don't think that uh, – no offense to Blake, but I don't think people are putting their resume and their coaching reputation on the line for him. Right well, so
0: we, we've we gone over Cincinnati. We've gone over Jacksonville. We've gone over the best coach you played for. And we haven't even touched on Baltimore and what the Ravens are going to do this week, which is also an interesting topic. Any sense there as we tape this on Monday at about 5 Eastern?
2: I'd say this. I think that we, we were watching the game together, and I think on one of those late runs that Lamar Jackson had – it looked like he pulled his hamstring and we were all kind of reading his lips. I'm not sure if he's it's hamstring, but he's definitely hurt. He, he tried to it. run it off. He he's tried hurt. to run it right the play. I, I saw him basically say to the sideline, I can't run. Yep. Like, I saw that and too. So, um, if he can't run. Let me say,
1: there's a classic thing as a quarterback, when you have a play and you're hurt and you got to get back, you find other distractions. He stopped and tied his shoe. He's like, Oh, I got, it. he had a tied shoe and he got down. He's like, I'm going to tie my shoe. That's already tied. And you <laughs> never ran again. He never ran one time. The rest of that game, they only ran a few more plays after that. That's point. fine. But if he, 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 I've been, I've been in this situation where like, can I finish this game? Can I make this a non-issue? I scored a touchdown against Tampa one time on a, like a naked boot. Like I kept it, and I, it's a long story. Basically, tore his butt, he tore a muscle in my rear end, essentially like a glute muscle, and I scored, and I couldn't get off the field. Like I was too injured to get off the field, and it was an embarrassing thing. It was like crap, like. How do I get off this field without anybody knowing that I'm? And that was the look that he had. I mean, weird to put myself in a similar scenario as Lamar Jackson. Quite the runner. (laughs) I
2: just throwing that out there. He got, in my opinion,
1: (laughs) in my opinion, he got hurt. But now, listen, they could have gone back to Joe Flacco anyway. Right, And I do think the best thing for the Baltimore Ravens is if, like what happened with Alex Smith and Patrick Mahomes last year, if Mahomes played a little more like Alex Smith, conservative, and Alex played a little bit more like Patrick Mahomes, gunslinger, you get the best out of both guys. I really think that's what... They wished it happened. Flacco, can you be a little more exciting like Lamar? Lamar, can you play a little more like, you know, statue pocket passer like Flacco? And if they had sort of just rubbed off on each other, what you get instead, I think, is Flacco's even more just Tom Joe Flacco and Lamar's been just on more just Lamar. And that's not really a solution for long-term success for this team. Look,
2: well, They're eventually going to Lamar. I think that, injured or not, I think we're going to end up seeing Flacco um Adam you referenced earlier you know in the day just talking about the schedule ahead at forward. Atlanta at yeah. Kansas City yeah and so back i think to back that, weeks and it'd be important oh listen these games are important for baltimore flacco probably gives them their best chance to win if he's healthy um but it's he's clearly the future there but he won't last he's played two games and we all think he's injured you know he won't last if he can't be a better passer in the pocket i mean he was a runner in college matthew and i called a Louisville game. And the truth of the matter is when they were in trouble and they had like, a gotta have it play. Petrino ran him. Mm. He ran him. I mean, he's a runner. Bill Pullian didn't compare him to Antonio Brown because he was ready to be a passer.
1: I'll I'll say this too. I, I I know him pretty well and uh, I really like him. I think he's got a bright future as a quarterback Lamar. I think he's got a really bright future as a quarterback. And I asked him at one point and I said, how come you didn't run at the combine? And he said, cause I know I would have run the fastest time of anybody there. And they would have tried to move me at a, at a position. I'm like, what do you mean you would have run the fastest time? He said, I would have run the fastest time of anybody there. Wow. Now, I don't know if that's true, but the fact that he thinks it's true tells you just what kind of a, a electric player that he is. I mean, we see it, but like, it's not hard for him. It wasn't hard for him to hurdle that guy when he, when, you know, when he's doing it. He just did it. Didn't think about it. Just did it.
0: Text him now and see how his
1: hamstring is, Matthew. I don't know
2: if we're Dude, that tight. You know okay. something? Know we're like... He's not nearly as good as you at breaking news. He's <laughs> tried it before. And... Well... He exactly. was
0: close to breaking news last yeah, night. Where yes. It didn't quite exactly happen. You know,
2: I, these are like these are friendships. Exactly, so these are like you know. These just like that. a Fantasy well, are you, what, are team. You to saying you say? Adam's not friendly with these people? What are you did, trying to I don't say? Know. I do remember when well, I was I playing. Was if of of Adam had come
1: to me and like said, like, "Hey, what's the story with your knee?" I don't think I would have told no. you. Like, I I, really? I know I wouldn't have told you. I would have probably, I probably would have lied to you. Honestly, you know. Sorry. And that's happened before.
0: But that's the that's the way it goes. <laughs> now, the other thing I want to ask you, and this was really the reason for doing this: What is it like? to work with your brother.
1: I thought you were going to say because I couldn't get anyone else.
0: No, 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 no. You said that. I told you.
1: Listen, I, I, it's really it's really helpful to me. And like, as I got older um, as a quarterback in the NFL, my coaches were younger than me. Like, And so that was uh, invigorating and fun and exciting. But it also was like I missed those relationships that I had early in my career with like a Brett Favre, a Doug Peterson, a Rick Meyer, a Trent Dilfer, Jeff George – Mark Rippin, like guys I played with that I just got like value from their opinion. They're, they're like 45,000, uh, you know, view of things, you know, Warren Moon, Brock Hewitt, and Tim was always, always one of those guys. Like, man, you know, what do you think the deal is? He's like, listen, you know, your wide receivers aren't winning. There's one guy that's winning. You need to like KYP, know your personnel, look for that guy, and then work from there. Just like stuff like this. And uh Tim was always a great resource for me that way. So I really have always felt like he is probably the expert of experts in terms of just having a general sense of quarterback play. And so I think it's oh, helpful hmm. for me now cuz I really with with what I do is I'm focusing more on the guys we talk about a lot. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, and then it comes down to like, you know, Driscoll or Heineke and Tim's like boom, he's on it, he's got it. Lamar, you like uh, Ryan Finley, like who's the next Giants quarterback? Well, you might want to look at this kid uh, at NC State. Okay, who's he? You know, so Tim's been great that way for me.
2: Yeah, you know what I think the thing for me, honestly, is um, I don't know that anyone Matthew and I certainly would have never thought that um, you know our dad played in the NFL, and so I think like if our dad was a cop, we would have wanted to be cops, hmm. and I think that. um you know, he played pro football. So I think we were like, yeah, well, let's just play pro football. And at least for me as a player, like I, I, I it seemed attainable mainly because I had a brother that was like me. He was playing pro football. So like when I went to the combine, people weren't really asking about me. They were like, hey, um, so are you going to be as good as your brother? <laughs> I am kind of like, wow, well, that's kind of a weird question. Which was a you know low bar mean? since I wasn't <laughs> invited <laughs> yes, to the <laughs> NFL yeah. combine. Well, but, but at the time, it right yourself the over 17 seasons. Yeah. I think it was right around the time that, um, that Matthew had been traded to Seattle. And so I think you know the interesting thing for for probably us but certainly for me is um like I went through and realized how hard it was to to make an NFL roster. Much less become a starter, mm-hmm. to go to a pro bowl, to take a team to a Super Bowl, to um to play for you know, nearly twenty years. Like you know, I would give him a hard time about. Stuff. I mean, he was terrible at working out in the off season and things of that nature. But he never ended a season on the IR. Like we're talking about, like Andy Dalton's going on the IR probably for the second time in his career. Like that, we're having that conversation. Like it's kind of a remarkable t- statistic to play that long.
0: Seventeen years. Well, you can pull a muscle, you can't pull fat,
1: you know? So, but, <laughs> so
2: you know, so I think, I think I, at least I know how, it's how I feel about it. I've always had an appreciation for kind of what he accomplished throughout his career. So it's obviously fun to, to grow up in a, you know, kind of a close knit family playing two hand touch football in the front yard. To have that go to be teammates in college, to both have NFL careers and then, you know, to both be, you know, working in the It's close, it's, it's games, close you know. knit but
1: don't let them fall. We rarely agree. We fight all the time and it's, uh, we disagree on things, you know, like quite honestly.
2: Yeah, but people really, not all bald guys. Agree and think alike. You know what I mean? <laughs> I get you
1: know hit I mean? up on Twitter all the time when Tim will say something, and people will be like, how dare you think that Carolina's not going to win? I'm like, what? what? I'm not even working today. I was wondering you know, if people
0: way? confuse you for one for the other. we get
1: it all. I mean, bald white guys get like mistaken for every... I get Jay Billis. Tim gets... uh Seth Greenberg. I no, mean, I you know, see, now he's <laughs>
2: making stuff up. That's not true. Uh, we. I went for the oldest bald guy I could think of. I want to say that Dilfer probably gets a lot of like I can't. Believe can I just you tell, Can I just them? clear
1: the clear the air on something? So when I played with Trent Dilfer, a great friend. You know, played with some guys that were like you know losing their hair, had the cul-de-sac going. Like, do we do we like shave it all? What do we do? And Trent sometimes we get on the bus. I'd be on one time we're playing Buffalo. I'm on the bus waiting on the bus. We're getting ready to go to the stadium. Trent comes out of the hotel. There's all these people looking for autographs. Hasselback, Mr. Hasselback, can I get you to sign? Trent gives them the middle finger and gets on the bus. Now, they think it's me.
0: If people confuse it. you all Oh, that the bus thought it
1: was the funniest thing in the world. They were like, Trent, you're the man. That was the funniest thing. And now, I'll admit, it was amazingly funny. But, dude. <laughs> it made
2: you look bad. It made yeah. me look bad. Well, that's funny. You you get confused with Trent when I was with the Giants. I was getting confused with Jeff Fiegel. So like getting confused <laughs> with like a 40-year-old Fegs. punter is I've not just a good idea. I've been mistaken for Fiegel. These are good guys. Tim,
0: Matthew, it is an honor to work with both of you. I thank you both for your time today. I sincerely mean I love working with you. Well, people. you're the best. I love having You are the best. best. People ask me, I mean that. hey, listen. people say, what's the
1: best thing? About, what's the thing that yeah. you're most surprised about with ESPN? I go, listen, Adam Schefter is a really good dude, really amazing at his job. He's actually pretty darn good, like, working out. I've seen you work out. Wait yeah. a second. Well, here, here's the thing, though, that he needs to <laughs>
2: cop to is before he came here, okay, he obviously knew you loosely from you covering yeah. him, but clearly was keeping you at an arm's distance. Absolutely. Okay. Well, then he comes here and he was kind of asking about guys that he's going to work with and I'm like listen you're not going to be you're going to be amazed by Schefter he's like really I'm like you're going to be amazed by him like he literally not positive that he's human cut him <laughs> I'm not sure he'll bleed the guy is a machine I'm like he works harder than anybody he's like come on and literally I was skeptical I wee, was skeptical a week or two in but you're, you're the real deal oh. and
1: and how you find time for fantasy basketball I have no I idea I love that how you <laughs> thank god it's
0: my respite <laughs> it's unbelievable you know it can be our producer Mike Cambrary it, it's my smoking break it's my cigarette break because I don't smoke so it's equivalent to go get a cigarette you don't play smoke, fancy you basketball don't golf, you just you know, do fantasy basketball you don't,
2: don't go five hour energy any,
0: just do podcasting that's it <laughs> <laughs> matthew tim thank you very uh, much. appreciate things. it hello brooks hey adam
3: what's happening
0: thank you very much for agreeing to do this i
3: appreciate it I, I can't thank you enough man i really appreciate it on this end too
0: how come you agreed to do this one
3: Uh, Because you are, I would consider you to be the Rolex of sports media. You are Mr. Sports Journalist. I have so much respect from you. Thank you. So so much respect, uh, you know, for what you've done, what you're doing every day, the standard that you set. And that's the honest to God's truth.
0: Well, that's very kind of you to say, Brooks. I appreciate it. And I was a fan of yours for a long time. And then we don't know what happened to you. And that's why I think there's so much curiosity here and why I'd love to hear Where you went, what happened, there was a lot of speculation about what happened to the Sports by Brooks website that began, I believe in 2001, it was cell phoned and operated gossip and a sports newswire website that was very, very popular and I think you had more than a million unique visitors at its height and then all of a sudden in 2013, the site, your Twitter feed, Sports by Brooks, it goes away and you vanish. What happened? Uh,
3: actually, uh, if you look at my Twitter feed today, you can get a pretty good idea. And that was a great background, by the way, Adam, of what I've done. But if you, uh, if you look at my Twitter feed today, uh, you really have a sense of what I've been doing and what started me down this rabbit hole, if you will, getting away from the website for this, this hiatus, because I am going to bring the website back in the first quarter of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, is learning about football history and specifically discovering Jackie Robinson. The the first thing I remembered in this process of developing a documentary series, which is what I've been doing over the last three and a half, four years, is I discovered uh, a piece of uh, footage of the Chicago Bears at Soldier Field playing against the college All-Stars in 1941. And Jackie Robinson was scoring a touchdown against the Chicago Bears. 98,000 fans, George Hallis is on the sideline. Hmm. And I saw this, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I knew that Jackie Robinson had played football at UCLA, but I didn't know that he was this big of a star. And I didn't know football was that big, period. And so I started to look back at Jackie Robinson's football career. And I actually, today, I'm just getting more footage in from him um, as we speak today from his games against Washington State when he played for UCLA, Adam. Hmm. But that's what started me down this road of learning about what a superstar football player he was in 1941. And and then come to find out he never would have played for the Brooklyn Dodgers had it not been for his football career. Hmm. That's why he got an opportunity in the knee release, And I'm going on and on about this story. Yeah. But when you have a story like that and what you just described, sports by Brooks, what is it? Well, it was, well, it was sports gossip, right? Uh, the one thing I think that differentiated me from other sports blogs was I did break hard sports news, right? Yep. But I thought, I thought to myself at the time when I made that first discovery before I really got into the college football history and the stadiums and other figures that I've researched over these years, I thought to myself, This is unbelievable. I mean, this belongs in a textbook, Adam. Am I just going to put this as a blog entry, you know, or am I going to try to do a deep dive on Jackie Robinson's life and learn more about his football career? And it, it paid off in spades. Now I've got a documentary series that I'm working on a three part series about his football career. And that has led to other things. Do I just want to do that as a blog post? Yeah. And and I've always been an obsessive personality. I think when you start a website by yourself in 2001, one person, right? And we're sitting here on the phone right now later because I I had that sort of perseverance, single-minded determination. But once I got into that, I I knew that I really didn't have anything to say to anybody at the time over these three or four years at the time because I wasn't going to put it on the website in, in, in a blog form. In hindsight, maybe I should have checked in on Twitter once in a while, <laughs> but, I, but I literally have been, uh, I've traveled the country, gone to different libraries, found some, unearthed some unbelievable stuff. I mean, if you go to my Twitter right now, yep. you can watch two minutes of Jackie Robinson playing football, including against the Chicago Bears. It's pinned at the top of my Twitter account.
0: So, Brooks, when is this three-part documentary series airing? Where can we see it? What's it about? Like, when is that happening?
3: What What The beautiful thing about this is when I got back onto Twitter about eight weeks ago, uh, I was just kind of wrapping up the excavation part of the research and the development part of it and the treatment part of it. And when I started to put that stuff, the huge outpouring, Adam, that came in that you, I think, saw on Twitter at the time. Um, when that happened, uh, all of a sudden, people saw, I, I tweeted out the, the Jackie Robinson uh, video of him playing football, and the CEO of the Jackie Robinson Foundation, uh, Della Britton Baez, actually retweeted it. Wow. This is Jackie Robinson Foundation, the woman who runs it, yeah. and, and they're going to open a museum for Jackie in November of 2019, Then she wrote a special tweet, thank and I don't know her by the way, this is totally unsolicited. And then she thanked me in another tweet on her account. And when that happened, the whole thing just exploded, this video of him, and all of a sudden I started to hear from people, Adam, that I'd never heard from before, from media companies that were interested in telling this story. And so now I'm in the process of, of, in the last six weeks or so, Mm -hmm. Continuing to talk to people, and if you follow my Twitter account and eventually the relaunch of the website uh, in 2019, you will find out when this – I mean, we're going to be going into production, so it's going to be a while, but it will come out. You will see it, and there's more. There's two other docu-series that I'm working on. It's It's all about football. It's all about football history.
0: I look forward to seeing that. And your first tweet back was September 26th. And it was right. a tweet showing a scene from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate
3: Factory. Right. What was the significance that, of that? It, it is part of the movie. You saw the original Willy Wonka of in 1971. An uh, all-time classic.
0: We be my top ten movies, Brooks.
3: I, you know what? I think it's my favorite movie of all time. Favorite movie? And, Willy Wonka? Yeah, because because it appeals to adults. It has sort of the adult humor where Willy Wonka is uh, himself, Gene Wilder, yeah, who's a genius in a movie. He is kind of dogging the parents, right? Yeah. I don't know if you noticed that, but he oh, really dogs the parents out. And so that's humor that flies over a child's head, I think, for the most part. But then you have the children's side of it. And there's no better example of a children's movie and what children love than that film. So you can actually, thats a, to me, that's a Sunday afternoon, you know, Nothing going on, putting your feet up, and you can watch that as as an adult. So what did I miss in the tweet? What did I miss in the tweet there, Brooks? Well, you missed a lot because it's the part of the movie where no one has seen Willy Wonka now for years, and the kids have their golden tickets. They're outside the gate. And here comes <laughs> Willy Walker, Gene Wilder. Do you know the, Now do you know the scene that I'm talking about? Well, no one's, so seen, Bro- no
0: one's seen Brooks for years either. Right, hold on. All right. Well, I'll, I'll
3: wrap it all together. So he comes out the door, and nobody's seen him. Well, he looks like a normal, young, good-looking, handsome man, just like me, right? Exactly. And he comes here, right? Trim. I didn't have, Yeah, I don't have a purple coat on right now in a cage. So he comes out, and he starts walking towards the gate, this expanse of about 100 feet on these cobblestones. And he has this pronounced limp. Now, Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka, he's in his 40s in the movie. You know, he's not so old that he should have a limp. And all of a sudden, the crowd, which is excited, the kids have the golden ticket. Suddenly, all of those smiles, well, they turn to frowns because they see, wow, what's wrong with Willy Wonka? We haven't seen him. We haven't heard from him. And now look at him. There must be something wrong. And so as he approaches that front gate, he's got this. Cane, right. And he's got this pronounced limp as he's approaching the children and the huge crowd and the cameras. And all of a sudden, his cane gets stuck between one of the cobblestones. Yeah. And so he's lost his cane. And then he starts to fall forward. And as he falls forward. He looks like he's in the NFL scoring a touchdown, Dak Prescott. He does a summer flip yes. and yes. lands perfectly in front of the gate with a big smile on his face. Yes. <laughs> so, so that was me, you know, acknowledging, look, I haven't been around a long time, and maybe there's some people out there that think I've been doing this or been doing that. But really, since 2001, Adam, they've been saying that. I mean, when you write the kind of stories that I've written, and reported on institutions and yeah. schools and teams, and you're breaking news, you're going to get a lot of blowback. So really from 2001 on, it's been like that. It's just been I hadn't been on Twitter for an extended period to answer any of those things.
0: Well, I think what raised a lot of people's curiosity, aside from your obvious absence, Brooks, was the fact that the sports writer Jeff Perlman tried to track you down in 2016. And you are aware of his efforts, correct, in trying to get you to do a feature that he was going to write, I believe, for Bleacher Report.
3: Yeah, I'm aware of it, and I, I'm actually aware of there have been several people over the years, to be quite honest, that have done that. And my attitude was always, I, I, put it this way: this is the first podcast, and, and I haven't even talked about my broadcasting career. What really set me apart in the blogosphere was when I started the blog in 2001, mm-hmm. I already had this uh, built in uh, bunch of sources and people that I knew because, uh, you know, I worked uh, at ESPN 710 for years doing talk shows. I was at Fox sports radio. I launched a sports radio station for intercom. I was the program director in Kansas city. Uh, I, did play-by-play for the Kansas City Royals. I worked in Columbus and did an afternoon talk show on WBNS, the Ohio State flagship. I can go on and on and on here. People don't know any of that. So that was a big leg up for me with the blog. So I had a lot of contacts going in and that's what allowed me to start to break stories about sports. And that's what caused the blowback that I've talked about and people trying to track me down. And over that whole period of time, as I continue to be a broadcaster, Adam, once the blog started, I stayed as a broadcaster to su- right. support myself financially. Then all of a sudden, you know, we get the the uh, people asking about me. And, and this is the first podcast, Adam, I've done in 18 years. Wow. I'm honored. You you. Thank you. You are the first. I know I'm going kind to of ramble around here. It's no, great. Have at it. We haven't heard from you. So the floor is yours. Well, but the point is, 18 years, I have never done a podcast. 18 years, I have never done an interview, right? Because it was always about the proprietary content. It was always about, it was never about my personal life. It was never about what I had for breakfast in the morning. And so I have stayed, I have stayed to that the whole time. And so during this period of time, when I was working on other things, Yeah. You know, I had the same attitude as I had. When I had look. I had some of the the biggest names in journalism wanted to fly out to Los Angeles in the middle of the height of sports by Brooks to do profiles on me, hmm. right for their for their newspapers, yes. and I turned them down. And nobody went crazy when I was doing that. So, um, well, you 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 you're, you're the JD
0: Salinger of. of of bloggers and websites that you've been... Not anymore, right? Not not anymore. anymore. We we found J.D. Salinger. And I I want to ask you this, Brooks, because, again, the curiosity from your absence, and I think the curiosity that goes back to something that Jeff Perlman said that raised the curiosity. I want you to respond to this, and I want to read you this full quote. And I know you are probably aware of this, but here's what Jeff Perlman said after he tried to track you down in 2016 and teased that a feature on you would be coming, but he revealed a few weeks later that he decided it shouldn't run, and here's what he said. He said, here's what I can tell you, and these are his words, not mine. I wrote the story. I literally have on my computer a 10,000-word sports by Brooks story that I busted my butt on hardcore. I wrote it for Bleacher Report, and one of the editors said, I just don't feel comfortable with this because it feels like a mental health illness. I did not find him, as in we did not have a face-to-face encounter. I found out basically what has become of him. And I'll just say that I think my editor is correct in that it was the right thing not to, I'll just say sometimes people go away for a reason, not just because they fade out of prominence. How do we respond to that quote?
3: I have no response because I don't know anything about it. I haven't paid attention to it. Honest to God, I haven't. So, I mean, there really is no response. I think my response, and I mentioned this on Twitter, if you're wondering what I've been doing, go watch the Niles Kinnick uh, footage, watch Niles Kinnick play football against Notre Dame in 1939. On my Twitter right now, go watch the first 1869 game between Princeton and Rutgers. I have footage, Adam, right now of a guy who played in that game. No one's ever seen this footage. Wow. That, that, yeah, ju- right. It's on there right now. It's like the second or third tweet. The very first eight game in 1869 Uh, one of the newsreels recorded an account of that game from a guy who played in the game. Hmm. And so I have that account online and it's on my Twitter account. I've got Jackie Robinson scoring a touchdown against the Chicago Bears. I I can go on and on and on. I've got the Chicago bears, red Grange and Bronco Nagurski. I've got this amazing film that MGM made about them. So if you want to see them and it's not grainy, this is, thirty five millimeter quality of Bronco Nagurski and Red Grange, it's on my Twitter account right now. So that's where I've been. That's what I've been doing. And as I said before, I've done it. I, I've never done a podcast. I've never done a sit down type of interview. This is the closest thing to it.
0: Th- thank and you for allowing me to steal your podcast virginity. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but you see my whole point here is that the the you know my my body of work And my approach speaks for itself. It's always been like this. I've always been, I'm like the kid in school, Adam. I don't know if you remember this. When you were a little kid, I was one of those kids who would always come up with a crazy fact or an amazing current event, and all the little kids would be standing around, and I would walk up to another six-year-old or 10-year-old and say, hey, can you believe, and I'm from Kansas City can you believe the chiefs won in this record or that record? And the kid would always say, so, (laughs) and then, and then you would say something else to another kid. That's a fascinating. So, and so you have a bunch of, so I was the kid running around school doing that. I've always been kind of consumed with trying to, I guess, get attention or impress people with facts, with information. That's the basis of everything. It's not, But now we live in this world, obviously, where what you had for breakfast is what's on television. People follow that around, and that's, you know, that's reality. So
0: were were you aware that people had developed this curiosity and what had happened to you? Uh, In passing.
3: I mean, but I I really, it it sounds strange, but, you know, when you look at someone who, how many people who started one website, a single person started a single website, turned into what my website turned into. I mean, how many times has that happened? Well, in sports, I mean, it really hasn't happened in sports media. You have to have this total complete laser focus on what you're doing. And with all of these external factors bearing down on you, including some of the sports media companies, as you're doing this, you have to ignore all of that. Mm -hmm. You have to ignore everything on Twitter. And that's what I've always done. And so now I'm doing all I hope this now it's starting to make sense that we've had this conversation because I started off at the beginning and I said, I discovered this. It's really what I'm doing is I'm upgrading. I'm retooling. And it's Sports by Brooks 2.0. It's another dimension. When you bring in a Jackie Robinson playing football against the Chicago Bears, nobody's ever seen that. But how can that be? His career in football, he never would have played baseball. He did not play baseball his senior year at UCLA. Nobody knew he played baseball until he was 25 years old. The only reason he got a tryout with the Kansas City Monarchs, which started him on his way to the Dodgers, was the Monarchs owner had heard of him as a football player. It wasn't because of baseball. It was because he was a superstar in the newspapers every day. He got 800,000 votes for this college all-star team, at 246 polling places around the country to make that team so he could play against the Chicago Bears. So that's the kind of information that takes a long time to excavate it. You know, it's like going in and you're mining something. You don't even know what you're looking for. And that's really the tip of the iceberg. So, so, you, so um,
0: you become the foremost expert on Jackie Robinson,
3: his football well, career? Well, it's not just Jackie Robinson, but, it, but it's, it, we're, we're doing a, one of the docuseries is about um, the origin of football, and it's called At the Creation, the birth, death, and resurrection of an American obsession. Mm -hmm. And as part of this docu-series, Adam, on the origin of football, we are going to get college football players. We found an old stadium through a lot of scouting for old stadiums on the West Coast. We found an old football stadium built in 1916. We're going to get college football players, and we're going to put we're gonna If we have to have it made, we are going to have the original gear and equipment that football players wore in the 1900s, and we're going to recreate the flying wedge for you. Hmm. As part of this three-part docuseries, oh. we'll talk to you about how Harvard Stadium, the very first steel-reinforced concrete stadium in the history of the world, it saved the sport and created the game that we have today – Walter Camp, you may remember, in 1906, with all the players dying, right? In 1906, Cal Stanford had dropped football. Columbia had dropped football. Harvard had voted to drop football. Walter Camp, in a meeting with Teddy Roosevelt, he will not change the rules, right? Despite all the the deaths. Finally, he breaks down and says, in a meeting with Teddy Roosevelt, who's a Harvard man, look, let's widen the field by 40 feet. I'll give you that. So they go over to Harvard Stadium, which is the only modern stadium that exists at that time in the world. They get a tape measure out, Adam, and they figure out, well, wait a minute, the Harvard Stadium, is, it's too narrow. <laughs> and so Bill Reed, the Harvard coach, comes back and says, well, what about the forward pass? And that's why we have the forward oh. pass. That's the story. And you,
0: you so are that, the cutting edge of all this history. That's kind of neat, actually. That's kind of neat. Right, it's an amazing
3: story. And th- those are just two small examples of what we're working on.
0: Before I let you go, Brooks, you mentioned you're from Kansas City. Are you willing to predict a Chief Super Bowl for me right now? Absol-
3: absolutely not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, mean,
3: I, was, I was two years old when we went to the freaking Super Bowl. So, um, you know what's neat, though, is the foremost college. Football, or actually, really the foremost football historian. His name is Dr. Michael Oriard, mm-hmm. and he's a professor at Oregon State. He played for the Kansas City Chiefs hmm. and he played for Notre Dame. Huh? But, but, but as far as the Chiefs go, you know, my entire uh, adult life has been filled with letdowns. So the last thing on earth I'm going to do <laughs> is pretty much look, look I'll, I'll probably be a bandwagoner to jump on. But at this point, I've been burned so many times. It's like a it's like a girlfriend. You keep going back. I'm not. It's not going to happen this time.
0: Not to rub it in, but I've been in Arrowhead Stadium when they lost to the Colts in the conference championship, or the wild, or the divisional playoff. I've been in the Arrowhead Stadium when they lost to the Broncos in the divisional Jim playoff. Jim Harbaugh. I, uh, I, I've been. I I've been there for their playoff loss. Like I have seen some of the most crushing, humiliating. Just Try frustrating permission. losses that you've ever could experience. They had Rich Gannon on the bench. They went with Elvis Gerback. They lost to Jim Harbaugh. They, they, they. How many playoff games have they lost at home after being the number one seed? I think it's three times they were the number one seed and lost their first playoff game right away. At Lynn Elliott missing
3: kicks. Wait, wait, wait. Spoken like a true Broncos reporter right here, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Denver Broncos. That's what that's all about. That's a big pile-on right there. It's not a pile-on at
0: all. Hey, you mentioned you you like to deal in facts. I deal in facts. They've lost three (laughs) times when they've been the number one seed in their opening playoff game. What is disputable about that?
3: Well, how about Adam, though? Here, Brooks, torn out his heart, and then finally we get to the Chiefs. (laughs) Long suffering, and you can't even let me out the door.
0: (laughs) Holy smokes. I I should have been, on the way out, I should have been way more courteous of you, considering that you've come out of hiding and done your first podcast in 18 years. I should have let you down gently and wished the Chiefs the best of luck and told you that the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl
3: this year in Atlanta. Just remember that about all cheese fans. We're very fragile psychologically, <laughs> all right? Be very, very nice. Hey,
0: Brooks, I really appreciate taking some time today to join us. Thank you very much for, for making me your first. I hope you remember this UA, you remember your first kiss,
3: though. <laughs> uh, it was great. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adam.
0: Thanks so much, Brooks, and good luck with the documentary series. Thanks. We'll be back in a moment with Evan Kaplan, but first I want to tell you about Dollar Shave Club. I love the Dollar Shave Club has everything I need to look, feel, and smell my best. What I love even more is the fact that I never have to go to a store. That's because, one, DSC delivers everything I need right to my door. And two, they keep me fully stocked on what I use so I don't run out. Here's how it works. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready, no matter what you're getting ready for. They have you covered head to toe for your hair, your skin, your face. You name it, they have it. And they have this new program where they automatically keep you stocked up on the products you use. You determine what you want and when you want it, and it shows up right at your door from once a month to once every six months. That's what I do for DSC's toothpaste every couple of months, and it leaves my mouth feeling fresh and clean. Plus, with their handsome discount, the more you buy, the more you save. And right now, they've got a bunch of starter sets you can try for just $5, like their oral care kit. After that, the restock box ships regular-sized products at regular price. So what are you waiting for? Get your starter set. For just $5 right now at dollarshaveclub.com slash AS. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash AS. Cap hit. And we are back for a week 13 NFL preview with our friend, our colleague, NFL ESPN researcher Evan Kaplan. And Evan, we are heading down to the home stretch here. It is going to be fast and furious. And we've got, after a weekend where the best teams were off. The Rams were off on a bye. The Chiefs were off on a bye after they're playing their great Monday night game. The Saints played on Thanksgiving, off over the weekend. Now all three of these top teams, the three best teams in football, with all due respect to everybody else, they all hit the road. What stands out to you about that?
4: Yeah, Saints at the Cowboys, Chiefs at the Raiders— Rams at the Lions in Week 13. Let's start with the Saints. And you look at their offense, Drew Brees putting up historic numbers. We know about Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram. Don't forget about all these undrafted players. The Saints have had seven different undrafted players catch a touchdown this year. That's already the most by any team in a season in the last 15 years. And you look at all these players that NFL fans many of them hadn't even heard of until they're bursting on the scene and they're catching touchdowns in the Super Bowl
0: so we got Austin Carr Josh L Zach line Tommy Lee Lewis Keith Kirkwood Cameron Meredith Dan Arnold names a lot of fans never have heard of that right there is your argument as to why Drew Brees gets the NFL MVP exactly. which he's never won before absolutely because he's playing with guys that if they played in another city with all due respect to them would be nobody's
4: yep. absolutely and his connection with Michael Thomas is great. He's got the two running backs, but the way he makes everyone around him better, look, 29 touchdowns, one interception, a couple interceptions, two interceptions, he deserves to win the NBA. A
0: little diversion here, okay? In the ESPN NFL War Room League, I am in first place right now. Mm-hmm. I have a 11-1 and record in our 16-team league. And Scott Clark, who's a producer at ESPN, yep. he is the historian for the league. And- right. We asked him today, like, how did the playoff matchup set up? And okay. there's no bye in our in our league. Okay, And it's three weeks of playoffs. And so if I win this Sunday, which I hope I will, I'll right. be the number one seed. Okay, The number one seed is going to get Michael Smith in round one. Michael Smith is loaded with not only Mike Evans, but Mark Ingram, Drake Juan Smith, Keith Kirkwood, all these Saints players right. that you're just referring. Right. And they play Tampa Bay. And I am now terrified <laughs> of playing the number one. Eight seed as the number one seed that's going to set a points right, record right. in our league. One loss. I'm <laughs> going to lose in the first round of the playoffs to Michael Smith because he's got the right matchup yeah. with Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. He's going to ruin my fantasy football season, Evan. I'm telling you right
4: now. And look, we remember week one, they lost, but still oh. put up 40 points against the Buccaneers. Oh, so, this, this is, this it's, is just. Yeah, this is, it's all
0: set up for the it's all set up. And the Rams
4: this week are also back. What about them? Yeah, look, another. Team with MVP candidates, Todd Gurley on offense and certainly Aaron Donald on defense. And one thing that's interesting when you look at the Rams is they've been playing closer games than the Saints and the Chiefs have. And they've been winning those games. So it's something where maybe that sets them up better for playoff success. Look, the, the blowouts are great, but you we know that when it gets to January, these teams are going to be playing tighter games. The Rams are 6-0 in games decided by seven or fewer points mm. this season. And their last three wins have come by a combined 10 points. Now, you can look at this from two different perspectives. The Saints are beating teams by double digits. They're more dominant right now. The Rams are winning closer games. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? We'll see going down the stretch. But just a difference as we try and put into context and separate these top three teams.
0: And the Chiefs also this weekend? What about them?
4: Yeah, Chiefs at the Raiders, a divisional game where the Chiefs have been nearly unbeatable in the last two and a half years, they're 19-1 and one in their last 20 divisional games under Andy Reid, and you look at them as they try— and, In the AFC West. In, in the AFC West, those divisional games, and you look at them as they try and wrap up the number 1 seed in the AFC, going forward, three of their last five games are within the division. They have a one-game lead on the Patriots and the Chargers right now for that top spot.
0: And they already beat the Chargers. They have a one-game lead on New England. If Kansas City manages to get home field— I know we talked about it You're with right. Sports by Brooks, the mm-hmm. Chiefs, but good luck trying to win. And now, although I've heard that before. In other postseasons, only to see teams go
4: into Kansas City in
0: January and pull the upset.
4: And the thing to remember about their losses is they're out of the division. So people are going to look at the Chargers in that AFC West standing and say, oh, they're only a game behind. But like you said, the Chiefs already beat the Chargers. and So it's it's really like a a game-and-a-half lead because they have all the tiebreakers right now.
0: Last weekend, we saw Russell Wilson and Cam Newton square off Mm -hmm. again in a great matchup between two great quarterbacks. We get another great quarterback showdown this weekend. What about Big Ben and Phillip Rivers?
4: 2004 draft class, they were both selected near the top. This will be the sixth time that they play, including the playoffs. And it's really remarkable. Fifteen years ago was that draft. This is their 15th season. And you look at the numbers for those two quarterbacks, statistically, they're they're so close in their careers. Rivers, sixth all-time in touchdown passes. Roethlisberger is seventh. Ben also seventh in passing yards all time. Rivers is eighth, so it's really remarkable that the quarterbacks and you can throw Eli Manning in there too, who's around those players that they were drafted in the same class, and their numbers have panned out. Now the biggest difference, which all NFL fans will know, is is the is the playoff success for Rivers versus Ben and Roethlisberger. Thirteen and eight in the playoffs, two Super Bowls. Rivers has only even been to the AFC Championship once, four and five in the postseason. But you look at his team this year. He's playing some of the best football of his career. This feels like one of his last big runs at a Super Bowl to me. It loaded AFC, but the way they're playing, the way he's playing, I think sets them up. Philip
0: Rivers deserves to reach a Super Bowl before he's through. It would be great to see that. The way he played Sunday, 25 straight completions yeah. in one game. Incredible. There was a stat on ESPN that... He had a greater chance of being struck by lightning huh. than completing 25 straight passes, which, by the way, I don't believe that to be true. I believe right. his chances of completing right. 25 straight right. passes are much greater than his chance of and being look, hit by you, lightning.
4: you talked to the Hasselbecks earlier in this podcast. Matt Hasselbeck has been struck by lightning. He has. He has. So and I'll you bet go. you
0: neither Hasselbeck has completed 25 straight passes. <laughs> no, they the haven't. There
4: we go. <laughs> it all it all
0: goes back together. Adam. <laughs> and one of the teams that both Ben Roethlisberger and Philip Rivers have lost to in the playoffs— is the Patriots. Yes. So we tie it together to them. They yeah. get, this weekend, an NFC team. Minnesota, how do they typically fare out of the
4: AFC? So Vikings at home for the Patriots, and it's an area where the, they haven't been as dominant as they were earlier in the Brady-Belichick era. You look at the first 10 years, they were 18-2 and two at home against NFC teams. Since 2011, 9-6. Still good, but not to the Patriots level good. Uh, their last loss was against the Panthers last season. Just three and three in those last six games. And one other thing with the Patriots, they they had a strong win at the Jets in Week 12. But uh, something a little more exo to keep an eye on is, is New England in the red zone. They're only converting 50 percent of red zone drives into touchdowns in the last four games. And, and this is a number where I was as I was digging through, kind of remarkable. Tom Brady is one for ten throwing to Rob Gronkowski and Josh Gordon in the red zone this season. I'm not sure what to make of that. Yeah, I was going to ask you what to make of that. Gronk uh, found the end zone in Week 12 for the first time since Week 1. It was outside the red zone, though. In the red zone this year, Brady is 0 for 5, throwing to Rob Gronkowski. It's just the kind of thing where it feels like they're eight and three, and there's still things to be worked oh, yeah. out, which is a great position for them to be in.
0: You know, it's interesting. It was their bye week last week, and all you heard about was how Tom Brady is struggling mm-hmm. against the blitz. Now yeah. you come forward yeah. with these numbers about how they're struggling oh, okay. in the red zone. Boy, these poor Patriots—they just can't seem to get it done.
4: they eight and three. They'll go. They'll they'll score a touchdown on every red zone drive, and they'll win 35-21. This—that's probably what happens.
0: Yep. All right, the final two teams I want to touch on are the Baltimore Ravens and the Indianapolis Colts, both six and five both with different approaches, both on the road, Baltimore and Atlanta this week, the Colts in Jacksonville against the new offensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. What do we make of these two teams heading into this weekend?
4: They're both playing well offensively and kind of doing it in different ways. The Ravens in the last two games with Lamar Jackson, they're running the ball at the highest rate in the NFL. 63% of their offensive plays have been called runs, while the Colts in that span passing it on 59% of plays. And Andrew Luck, we talked about it last week, we could just kind of wrench, repeat the same thing. Three touchdown passes again. He's now done it in eight straight games. Unbelievable. It really is. Was I mean, he sacked? Because I know he was sacked, he but was, there's a penalty he, on the play. He was sacked. He was sacked once against the Dolphins. But, I mean, you look at the Colts now, five wins in a row. They, this team started 1-5 this year. They're now 6-5. and five. And in as good a position to get a wild card. And And let's not forget about the division either with the AFC South.
0: And so Andrew Luck has been hit as much playing wide receiver in the last six weeks as he has and been playing he, quarterback. He has. It's incredible. He caught the one pass on Sunday and got the one sack on yep. Sunday as well. Evan, thanks for the insight and the information as always, and we'll see you again for Week 14.
4: Thanks, Adam. And
0: so a special thank you to Evan Kaplan, the ace NFL ESPN researcher, to Sports by Brooks website operator Brooks Melchior, who came out of hiding, the J.D. Salinger of podcasts and websites, to come spend time with us today. And we thank him and my friends, my colleagues, two great men, great analysts, great people, Tim and Matthew Hasselbeck. And thank you to the listeners for joining us for another week of the Adam Schefter podcast. Please come back again next week for the latest edition of the Adam Schefter podcast. Thanks again, everybody.